a great job. You did great, Josh. And I uh, really enjoyed, uh, thank you so much for allowing us as uh, church staff to go to conferences that feed us and train us and, and build us. Because Josh and I were able to go to the evangelism conference for the state in Dallas. And I want you to know that Josh is so real. I knew that before we went, but Josh and I were able to just visit together, uh, going, coming back, and we prayed together, we worshiped together, and uh, just such a blessing to be with him. I appreciate you, Josh. And uh, he, you know, he is so godly. He doesn't even snore in his sleep. I was just, I thought that was awesome, you know. I thought with the beard and stuff, I thought, I, I ain't going to get any sleep with this guy. But anyway, I thank the Lord so much. We split a room and separate beds, of course. But anyway, thank the Lord so much uh, for our associate pastor, godly man. I would like to invite you, if you would, to turn with me to Isaiah 45, verses 18 to 25. Isaiah 45. We're going to start with verse 18 and go down through verse 25. So that's where we'll begin. I just want to read a, a passage just to set this up. Moses said this, but it pertains to what we're about to read. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, listen to what Moses said a long time ago. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. There is no other. That's what I feel the Lord wants me to speak about this morning. Hosea was a contemporary with Isaiah that we're about to read. And Hosea said in chapter 13, verse 4, But I am the Lord your God. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament also said in Joel 2.27, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is 
none else. I'm telling you, that theme, there is no other, it's like the river that flows through the, the riverbed of Isaiah chapter 45. It goes from verse 5 and 6, verse 14, verse 18, verse 21 and verse 22. You'll see it over and over again that God is trying to affirm, God is trying to let us know a clear thing. There is no other. Only He is the one that we should look to. John Oswald says in his commentary, this argument that there is no other, this argument is as radical today and as distasteful to some as it was 2,700 years ago. This is a radically exclusivist message. There's only one God and only one Savior, and He is the God of Israel. This is the biblical message. When I was a student at Union University, I remember S.M. Lockridge coming, uh, a famous uh, black preacher preached from his heart. He said of Jesus, he said, you know what? You didn't elect him, you can't impeach him, and he ain't gonna resign, he is Lord. And boy, he got some amens when he said that. But when it comes to usurpers who would like to replace God from the throne, I'm sorry to bust the bubble to break the news, but everybody's not a winner. Everybody doesn't receive the God trophy. Everybody doesn't get to sit on the throne. And there was a time when Jesus said hard things. And it says that some of the people started walking away from him in John chapter 6. But in verses 66 through 88, he looked at his men, his disciples. And here's what he said. Do you want to go away also? And Peter said, Lord... To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. You alone. So that's what I want you to think about as we go through this passage. There's going to be about four different things that I want to lay across your heart as we think about the uniqueness of the Lord our God. Would you stand in honor and reverence of his word? Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 18. Here's what the word of God says. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens... He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. 
every tongue shall swear allegiance only in the Lord. It shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him in the Lord. All the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh, Lord, remind us. We forget sometimes. Sometimes we have doubts. But nail it. Take your word today and nail it down so that if we face some fire, some persecution, some flood, if we go through some hardship, if we're faced with some disease or something that's difficult for us to handle as a human, remind us that there is no other but you. You are God, and you are there for us. You are there to rescue us. You're there to walk with us through it. And so speak to us today about the unique God that we know and serve, that is revealed to us in Scripture and made so clear in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So speak to us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to share with you four reasons why I believe that God's Word and Isaiah the prophet says there is no other. First, there is no other God because only the Lord God created the earth. It's a unique sphere like no other. You know, verse 18 uses four verbs indicating his handiwork, doesn't it? Look at it again for thus says the Lord who created. There's a first one, the heavens. He is God who formed. There's a second one, the earth and made it. Third one, he established it. Fourth one, he did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. You know that word created? The Hebrew word that was used in the original Hebrew Bible was the word bara. Bara was used 21 times by Isaiah. He's constantly saying, don't forget who made you. Don't forget who designed life. Five times in the chapter that we're looking at, chapter 45, five times. He keeps reminding us over and over again. That word create means that you bring something into being from nothing, with nothing and from nothing. It never was in existence until you spoke it into existence. That's the word that is used when he says create. But there's one thing that, I've, that just stood out to me and I thought, I'm going to share that with my church family when I get to Sunday. Here's what it says. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I want to ask you a question. Do you honestly think that any of us, even all of us together, if we said, let's pool our intelligence together, let's give it everything we have. Let's go see if we can survive on another planet. Do anybody, is there anybody in here that actually thinks that we could survive anywhere else other than earth? I know they're not a God-fearing organization, but I, I could not help but be attracted to this title of an article that I read by NASA, okay? This is NASA. This was last year, April 21st, 2020. Here's the title of the article. It got my attention. Nine reasons we're grateful to live on earth. I thought, wow, how about that? NASA saying nine reasons we're grateful to live on earth. So I got to thinking, okay, let's say someone on Sunday morning says, you know what? I'm tired of all the stuff we're dealing with on this planet. 
I'm ready to get in a spaceship. Drop me off some other planet. So I want to give you some choices that NASA mentions, okay? So let's say that you wanted to go toward the sun. Let's say that the cold snap was tough on you, your family. You said, I'm going toward the sun. I'm going to go to the next planet over. I'm going to go live on Venus. That'd be great. The only thing is I recommend you take some sunscreen with you because the surface temperature of Venus, according to the NASA article, is 900 degrees Fahrenheit. So what that means is there are no seasons on Venus. So if you like summer, you'll love it there. But one of the things that I heard was, this is also, I mean, this is not me just talking off my head here. These are scientists that put this stuff together, okay? If you want to really go for Venus, there is one perk that they identified. I thought that would be worth something. Do you know that the year is shorter than the day? Does, can you figure, wrap your head around that. The year is shorter than the day. And so what he said was, the guy that wrote the article said, what that means is if you move to Venus, you can celebrate your birthday every day. Every day is my birthday, you know, and you could just have cake and ice cream and all the gifts you want on Venus. But let's say you say, no, nah, that's too hot. I'm not going to deal with that 900 degrees. So I'm going to go one step away. I'm going to go to Mars. Well, the only thing about taking a deep breath on Mars is instead of nitrogen and oxygen, like the Lord's provided for us on this planet, you would be inhaling carbon dioxide. In addition to dealing with that, the average temperature... Oh, don't worry about the 900 degrees Fahrenheit. It's minus 81 there. So just take a jacket. You'll be fine. I don't know how you made out uh, with uh, the recent cold snap, but the other thing you better do is take some bottled water because there's no water on uh, Mars. So we definitely need that. We learned that, didn't we? But let's say you said, well, Mars doesn't sound like a good fit for me either. I believe I'll go to Jupiter. Do you know that the winds of Jupiter, you better, you better have some lead in your uh, shoes or something because the winds on Jupiter are anywhere from 270 miles an hour up to 425 miles an hour. So you better uh, take some rope to tie yourself down. And you better dodge the lightning because lightning strikes quite often there. And whenever the lightning does strike, it's a thousand times more powerful than that of Earth. So I'm just reading this article and I'm thinking, you know, I believe I'm also grateful that I live on planet Earth. I don't think I'd make it anywhere else. Do you know that they've also discovered outside of our solar system, there are 4,000 other planets in other solar systems but you know what? The scientists have, have concluded we can't live on any of those either. Not the ones we've discovered so far. So what are the odds of all of this happening? You know what I think it means? I think it means somebody created us. Somebody designed us so that we could live here. And they said, you know what? You're going to need water. So they call it the Goldilocks zone because a little bit too closer to the sun, it's all going to boil away. A little bit further away, if earth had been a little further away, it all turned to ice. Let me tell you something. It's what they call a fine-tuned planet. We are just right. And you know what God said in his word a long time ago? He said, he formed it to be inhabited by you. It's his gift to you and to me because he loves us. So the one thing that I would say makes him unique is he can create something like earth. If you think you can create one like it, then go ahead. Let's see what you could do. But let's move to the second distinguishing feature of the Lord that's found in verse 19. 
He communicates. He speaks. Did you notice how often in verse 19, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Think about what he's saying about his communication. Of course, the, the scripture is the clearest way. The clearest, clearest word that we have from God would be the scriptures. If you want to go one notch beyond, just look at the life of Jesus. That's even more crystal clear. But think about what do we know from God's communication from this one verse, and what do we see in the scriptures? Well, I thought about these things. God's word is clear, isn't it? He says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. He could have. What if God would have even used something that we couldn't even, no one on the planet would have even been able to figure it out. He could have spoken that way, but he didn't, did he? He didn't because he chose 40 human authors over a period of 1600 years off of three different continents. I remember the first time I wanted to teach uh, the people English in Japan from the Bible. And when I got home, my English teacher, Ms. Now, she about fainted when I gave my first report. I said, yeah, one of the best ways we can reach out for Christ is we teach English. And she's like, oh, my brother, I remember that boy's English. He was terrible. But anyway, just think, God chose these human authors, all these different continents over a 1600 year span of time. And he said, I want to be clear. All you got to do is open the word of God and just see what God would say to you. The other thing is it's convincing, isn't it? He said, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. Let me tell you something. If you really, you know, they talk about seekers that come to church. If you really are seeking God, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you'll just feel free to come here as you're not a Christian. Let's say that you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. That's great. We want you to know you're welcome here. But seekers need to know that God's not playing a game with you. He's not playing hide and seek. God says, I want you. I want to find you, much less you find me. I, God's looking for you. And that's what he's trying to say. I haven't been playing a game. I haven't been saying, seek me in vain. You know, you'll never find me, but go ahead and try. No, his word is so clear. That's why Hebrews 4, 12 says that the Bible is like a sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's living, it's active. That's why suddenly sometimes you're in a Bible study, you're reading your devotions, you're hearing a sermon, and suddenly it's like, whoa, I feel like my heart's being drawn to him. It's God. It's the word of God. It has convincing power. It's convincing and it's clear, but it's also certain. God said, I speak the truth. Listen to him. He's trying to tell you something. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I speak the truth. I understand it's a broken world. People have promised you things before. They have said things and they didn't come through. I understand that. But don't blame God. And don't transfer that to God. When God speaks, he says, you can count on it. I'm telling you the truth. That's why I believe he said... Over in Isaiah 40, we're in chapter 45, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, he said, Look, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's why he says in passages like Matthew 5, when Jesus is saying, Do you think that I came to do away with the Old Testament, with the prophet and the law? 
No, no, he said, not at all. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot of an eye. Nothing that God has ever said. He said, nothing of it will, will ever fail. It will be accomplished what the Lord sent it forth to accomplish. God's word is correct. He says, I declare what is right. I know there's a lot of, you're going to have to make a choice. Those of you who are young, you're going to have to make a choice. Whose standards will you live by? Will you go by biblical standards? Or will you say, no, this is what my college professor said. No, this is what my friends say. No, this is what the movie stars say. No, this is what, you know, I believe, myself, my own feeling. Are you going to go by all of that? Or are you going to say, you know what, this has been around a long time. God's word produces the best kind of life, the best kind of society, the best kind of family, the best kind of marriage. God's word will teach us how we need to live if we'll only track what he says to us. So definitely, I think God's unique because he speaks communication through his scriptures. I think he's unique because of the creation of the sphere, this earth. But there's one other thing. The third aspect of the uniqueness of the Lord is the consideration of salvation. Let me try to explain what I mean. When you give somebody incredible power over others, it's very rare for them to care about the people that they uh, have the power over. It's very rare for them to love them and care for them and really want the best for them. And I'll tell you something else that's rare. is for somebody that has all the power to say, you have a choice. You have a choice. You see, you may not realize it, but even though you haven't said yes to the gift of salvation, there's another gift that God has given to everybody in this room, the gift of a free will. God says, you know what? It's my gift to you. Because love is like one of the supreme ethics of scripture. It's one of the supreme ethics of the heart of God. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's just. Yes, he's righteous. There's a lot of things about God. But one of those things is God is love. And it's not love if it is coerced. It's not love if you had no other choice. You just had to do it. But God says, no, I'm going to give, I'm going to give my world. I'm going to give all the, all the people on the planet the choice, whether they're going to believe me, whether they're going to serve me, whether they're going to trust in me, or whether they're going to reject me and deny me and ignore me, walk away from me. And so I couldn't help but look at these verses, verse 20 and 21 and 22. And I got to thinking about if somebody here is still thinking it through. And let's say you're, you're using your free will. And so far you're saying, God, God said it's okay. That he's not going to force himself on me. But, but if you're considering it, there's four things I want you to consider from this passage right there. One is look at the desperation without salvation. God looks at the whole earth, okay? And he says, go ahead, all of you, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. Go ahead, global. You can have a global summit. You survivors of the nations, they have no knowledge, he says, who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Think about these things. God is saying, Go ahead. But he says to us, it's desperate whenever you pray to gods that can't come through. But when you pray to the Lord, he does come through. 
the desperation without salvation. Do you know anybody that seems desperate in their lives? What about this, the deception, the deception about salvation? Because he's inviting all of the nations, saying, go ahead, go ahead and try. Try to come up with a case, and they do. We do, don't we? How many world religions are there? You know, they all try to, oh, this is the way. Oh, this is the way. I believe I've got a religion that'll fit you. So we come up with all kind of different things. But God, he sums it up well, doesn't he? When he says at the end of verse uh, 21, there is no other God besides me. You can try, you can spin it, you can go ahead and outline it and have all kind of things. But the truth is there's no one else but me. And so God is trying to help us to see through the deception from all the other religions and to see the truth. And that's why God declares there's a declaration of salvation that's coming up. It's, it's swelling up within Isaiah's heart as he listens to God and declares to us what God said. And here's what God says. He said, I am a righteous God. I am a savior. And there is none besides me is what he says at the end of verse 21. So just think about God saying, look, I know you're broken. I know you've been hurt. I know that you can't seem to get it together, but don't, don't blame me for that. I'm righteous, and I'm the one that can save you and rescue you out of there. That's why we need direction when it comes for salvation, and he gives it. Verse 22, it's a great memory verse. Verse 22 says, turn to me. Are you looking for direction? You're saying, I don't know what to do in life. I feel so broken. I feel so confused. I've been so hurt. Then God says, why don't you turn the ship toward me? Come to me. Turn to me, he said, and be saved all the ends of the earth. I hope you're praying for our missionary in Nicaragua, Adrian Mingo. He was diagnosed with liver cancer. And we need Adrian there in Nicaragua proclaiming the gospel. He's a dynamic Christian man, loves the Lord. But, but God is saying to the people of Nicaragua through the gospel, through missionaries like Adrian, come to me, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. You know, Jesse and Danielle were asking us, pray for me about my language evaluation. They passed. Jesse wrote back and I could just almost see him excited with that big grin. You know, he said, I passed, you know, and then Danielle passed and Danielle passed by more than he passed, but still he passed, you know. So anyway, but, uh, but just think when they go to Costa Rica, do the people of Costa Rica need this message? Yes, they do. They need it where Jacob Tice is in Japan. They need it where Tanner and Katie are in uh, Greece. They need it where Amber Ogill is, and I won't say where she is, but just think about it. We need to say, God, please use us to support missionaries. Let the word sound out from us to those who are considering whether or not they're gonna trust Christ for salvation. Let me close with one last thing. A fourth and a final reason why the Lord can legitimately claim there is no other is because of the promised coronation of his son. Someday, someday Jesus is going <laughs> to, we're going to see how he is king of kings and Lord of lords. He already is, but I'm telling you, this planet is still in rebellion and we haven't all come together about it, but we will. Old Testament prophet Daniel uh, was given a glimpse of what you could call the end game. The end game. In Daniel chapter 7, here's what it says. 
uh, in Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14 and verse 27, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. A few verses later in verse 27, he says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Wow. That's where it's headed. Where are we headed? What's the future like? That's the future. That's the future. Jesus is Lord, and we're going to say someday, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. So I want you to go back to Isaiah. I want to just wrap the message up with these final verses as we look at verse 23. Verse 23, I think, tells us the certainty of Christ's reign. Is it a fairy tale? Well, here's what God said. By myself, God says, by myself. This isn't just the words of Victor Morrison. If it's just my words, then dismiss it. But I'm declaring to you what God said to you. By myself, God says, I've sworn from my mouth and has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. God says, this one's not going to back up. There is a place that we're all going toward, and that place is to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's king. And then notice the unity, the unity under Christ's reign. He says, to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Have you ever wondered, are we ever gonna have a leader that can bring everybody together? Yeah. Some, I think some will bow because they're saying, okay, I didn't wanna serve you and I didn't believe in you, but I acknowledge now you do run things. And then others of us will say, I've been singing it as loud as I could, every worship service, all since I came to know Christ, but both, everybody, nobody will be able to say, nope, I don't think so. Now is the time of the free will. Now is the age of grace. Someday when he comes back, it's over. That's when he says, now everybody must do what I say. So that's why verse 24 reminds me of the finality of Christ's reign, the finality of it. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. And listen to what it says. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. That means anybody at school that made fun of you, anybody in your extended family, any neighbor, anybody anywhere that ever said, you're a, you're a fool for believing that Christianity stuff. Someday they're the ones that are going to stand before God and they'll, they'll hit the ground and they'll say, you know what? I acknowledge that you are Lord, but that's when he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Boy, you don't want that. That's why we give an invitation each time. That's why I want you to notice the last thing is the beauty, the beauty of Christ's reign. Will it be miserable to be there? No, no, it won't be miserable to be there. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And all those mistakes, all those sins, all that rebellion, all those bad things you ever did, they're all gone. 
And you have the justification of the finished work of Christ over your life. And so for eternity, God's not going to sit there and lecture you over how you blew it. He's going to look at you and say, I'm so glad you're here. And we're going to stand there and give glory to God. I don't even know all that's going to happen, but it's going to be fantastic. I want to tell you what happened on a snowy Sunday morning. It was a long time ago, January 6, 1850. A snowy Sunday morning in England, there was a 16-year-old boy named Charles. Charles, he always went to church with his daddy. His daddy was a preacher. When you're the preacher's kid, you don't have a lot of choice, okay? But uh, anyway, he always went with his dad, but that day, the snow was too deep. He said, Charles, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta go somewhere close to the house. I don't want you going with me. I'm too far away. I'm across town. So Charles said, okay. So Charles went to the Primitive Methodist Chapel that was nearby. They were Baptists. He said, it's okay. I'm gonna go worship with my Methodist brothers and sisters. He goes in the door, and you know what? Since it was such bad weather, only 13 people were there that, that morning. So there's 13 people. They stand up and they said, well, we're sorry. But the pastor can't make it. He snowed in. He's out in the country. He can't make it in. So Deacon so-and-so is going to come up, and he's going to give us a message. And so the deacon that spoke, he gave Isaiah 45, verse 22, where he said, Look to me. Look to me and be saved. Look to me, all the nations of the earth. And so this young guy, Charles, he said, I may only be 16 years old, but I know that guy's not pronouncing words right, you know. He, he, I think he only spoke for like 10 minutes. He just kind of stumbled his way through it and so forth. But Charles said, you know what? As, as rugged as it was, I sensed hope come into my heart. And that 16-year-old boy said, I want Christ. And he remembers that deacon looking right at him. Since there's only 13 there, you can kind of figure out who's the visitor. And he says, young man, you look very miserable. I'm not going to say that to you today, okay? So if you're visiting, we're not going to say you look miserable. But that guy did to him. He said, young man, you look miserable. Look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and to live. And that young teenager said, I want Christ. And he got saved. And his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He became a tremendous preacher. But it makes me wonder, what if we just shared the little bit that we know? Let's say you'd say, I've never been to seminary. I've never been to Bible school. I don't know how to make all the points start with the first letter. Hey, that's not a big deal. What do you know about Jesus and about the gospel? Peter stood up and Here's what he said. He was faced with rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And he said this to them. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the same message. You could say that. You could do this. You could receive this if you haven't received it yet. I want our musicians to come, if they would, and prepare to lead us in this uh, closing hymn of invitation, softly and tenderly. You know, that's how the Lord, he's not going to bust down the door. Remember, he's given you a free will. So he's going to knock, is what Revelation 3.20, it says he knocks. So he's going to knock, and he's just simply saying, don't you want to trust me? Don't you want to come to me? Aren't you tired of making those bad decisions in your life? Turn it all over to me and watch me just cleanse it all away and give you fresh guidance, strength,
peace, joy. So that's what the invitation is about. I'll be waiting here. Josh is up front as well if you'd like to speak with either one of us. But you come. Let's all stand together. Let me pray and ask God to guide us as we go into this invitation. Lord, there's no one else out there. It's you. It's you. You've been loving on us all our lives. You've surrounded us by so much. You've given us so much. If nothing else, we have air to breathe. We have water to drink. We have families. We have health. We have health enough that we can be here this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you so very much for looking upon us with kindness and grace and mercy and love. Lord, I pray for anybody that's here that maybe so far they've been resisting, but their resistance, it's over because they cannot resist anymore. They have to say, I want Christ to save me. I need that Savior. So, Lord, draw them to yourself. Thank you that you went to the cross. You took the nails. You died on the cross for my sins, for their sins, for all of our sins. They placed you in a tomb, and three days later, you rose from the dead. And you can change our lives because you're alive. So speak during this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as we sing.